Hi, and welcome back to... Let me try that one more time. What's going on? It's Friday. Action! Is film like milk? Yes. it's got culture in it. And it's... Mm. Damn it. Leche. <laughs> Whole milk. Skim milk. Medium milk. I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk Could me? Could you milk me? Hi, and welcome back to Age Like Milk, the podcast where we decide if a film has gone bad in the mind fridge of your mind. I am one of your hosts, Paris Taylor, and with me as ever is my friend, David William Rogers. Hello. Hello, Paris. How are you? Have you recently worn any fancy shoes lately? I feel like the older I get, the less inclined I am to wear heels, even though I am a whopping five foot four. So no, <laughs> just your usual kicks. I did get some new Nikes. I sent you okay, some pictures. Which were dope. Which were that's, dope. Uh, that's about it. I'm not going to be wearing any shoes made out of glass. That sounds like a <laughs> fucking disaster to me. Um, but with that in mind, Dave, yeah. what is the film we are doing today? The film we are doing today is... Ever After, A Cinderella Story, 1998, directed by Andy Tennant, and the writing credits go to Susanna Grant, Andy Tennant, and Rick Parks. The stars Drew Barrymore, Angelica Houston, I, I believe it's Dugray Scotts, mm-hmm. um, a bunch of other people, though, that a lot of us would remember if they saw him today. Um, Melanie Linsky is yeah. specifically one to call out. She's in Yellow Jackets, New okay. Zealander, yep. from my part of the world. What's up, girl? She's been working a ton, too, mm-hmm. um, for, a, for a while now. Multiple HBO shows as well. And then Toby, oh, yeah. Toby Jones. Mm-hmm. Did you recognize him? Yeah, this was actually his first movie across the pond, mm. from what I'm told. He was a big UK guy. Yeah. And everybody was like, the he's got fuck? A you real... gotta get your ass to America where the real money is. <laughs> he's got a real distinct look and yeah. voice. Yeah, so he, he plays that like uh, you know villainous character very, mm-hmm. very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we're not alone on the podcast today. We're so fortunate to be joined by a friend of mine. But before we introduce her david whose turn is it to do the snops i want to say it's yours i feel like i've been doing a lot but you know what fuck it i will do it (laughs) this is a movie i'm pretty sure you did that i did kazam but whatever i want to do this one this is a cinderella movie ever after it is if you know the story of cinderella you kind of know the synopsis of this film so basically drew barrymore is cinderella um in this film she's called danielle she has two evil stepsisters and an evil stepmom her father you know obviously passes away when she's young the stepmother kind of treats her like a servant the stepsisters are kind of mean to her although melanie's character is less mean which we love to see and you know but degrees of degrees of cruelty and of course the age-old story you know spots a prince he falls in love with her mind he thinks she's a courtier he finds out she's not they look like they're gonna break up but surprise they get back together and she gets revenge on her stepmother the end except in this one Leonardo da Vinci also is in it. Yeah, he was mixing up some things, throwing some drawings out there. Yeah, Yeah. walking on water. Yeah, got some great lines like, Drew Barrymore's like, a bird may love a fish, fish, monsieur, but where would they live? And then he's like, (laughs) then I shall have to make you wings. I'm like, well, first of all, what if she was the bird? And that's like bold of you to assume that I would need the wings. You know what I'm saying? She had just... Years and years of abuse by her Mm -hmm. stepmother. So you could see how she didn't see herself as a bird with wings, right? They even Or a uh, fish with gills. Exactly. And I think her her best friend like made her put her chin up before she was faking to be, you know, when she went to go rescue her her other friend. So Gustav. Yeah. You know why I know all the names of these characters before even looking at them on IMDB? Because you kick it in France all the time. What's that? Because you kick it in France all the time. That, which, by the way, I love how everyone in France has British slash American accents. That's my favorite <laughs> part. Because um, in modern day France, it's exactly the same. No, I, this movie was my favorite movie in like middle school or whatever year I was in. 
end of primary school, I used to be able to quote it. And I will distinctly remember going to a sub, like a camp thing with a friend, Alicia Hawkins. And we sat at the back of the bus and repeated this movie to each other word for word on that journey. So when our beautiful guest, Cole Quirk, hello. Hello. <laughs> when Miss Cole suggested this movie in a list of movies, I was like, oh, fuck yeah, we are doing this film because I have not seen it in like 10, 15 years. A little years. nostalgia and walk for you. Such a nostalgia. Um, so let's introduce Cole. She's here with us. Hello, Cole. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. So I, ha- I, I always make people uh, send me bios. And if they don't, that's whenever I'll go. So tell us about yourself on the podcast. So Cole was very uh, smart and she did send me a bio. So here it is. So she's a screenwriter and a playwright. She grew up in Bluebell, which is a small town in Philadelphia. She was actually intent on becoming a prosecutor and received her Bachelor of Science. Is that what a BS is? Mm-hmm. Bachelor of Science in Crime, Law, and Justice from Penn State. She fancy. Um, and then attended New England School of Law in Boston, which also sounds quite fancy because Boston, as far as my Australian brain knows, is kind of the hub of like American democracy. So that seems like the right place to do law. Um, She then worked in private criminal defense in Philadelphia and intellectual property law on Wall Street. So lots to do. Um, And then her passion for writing actually led her to an MFA in screenwriting at UCLA. So she's also trained in sketch and improv, um, Upright Citizens Brigade. Do they still exist? That might be maybe one location <laughs> okay. left. I don't know. They're slowly shutting it down. It's so sad. I, I know. had a great time there. Yeah. And then Second City in Chicago, which I've been to the walking tour of that. It was amazing. Um, also, some of our favorite comedy people came from there, like Amy Poehler and Tina Fey. Um, and then you also did improv in New York. And then you have assisted writers on CSI Crime Scene Investigation for CBS. We just saw your cup pre-record. The 100, Resurrection on ABC, Scream for MTV, and Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, NBC. You also used to work, Cole, for writer showrunner Anna Zell- Aaron Zellman under his development term at, D- at Sony. I don't know why I can't speak. And um, you were featured on Tracking Board's Young and Hungry list for your play Jennifer Motherfucking Lawrence, which you wrote and directed uh, at the Hollywood Fringe. So that's exciting. But then the most exciting thing, in my opinion, is that you were most recently a staff writer on Justified City Primeval for FX. So pretty hectic bio i reckon yeah well-rounded thanks yeah bit of a twist and turn going from a lawyer to uh to a writer although i'm sure it comes in handy on some of these like crimey type shows you said you worked on uh the 100 i did season one yeah that was probably to this day my biggest like guilty pleasure i thoroughly enjoyed that show I thought yeah, it, I thought it was, it was, it was great. a good time and the actors were fantastic, even though we shut up in Vancouver and, you know, like CW shows, you need to be attractive and half naked for most of it. So <laughs> I'm sh- I, and we shot mostly exterior, like in the woods. Yep. So those poor actors are probably freezing their little butts off <laughs> in Vancouver up in our, in our oh, world. They but, can yeah. cry me a river in their private trailers, you know? <laughs> um, no, that's great. I mean, Vancouver's a great city actually. So, what was it that made you decide to jump from, you know, the lucrative world of crime and law into the less lucrative world of, of screenwriting? I think it was the lack of creativity. I had, like, at least the first legal job that I had. Um, as you read, I wanted to be a prosecutor, but you don't always get your ideal job when you get out of school, you kind of take the first job that's like, I will pay you to do this. Yes, please sign me up. Um, So I was on the other side. I was on the defense side. So I kind of struggled with what I was doing. I felt like I was keeping sort of the bad guys on the street Mm. versus, you know, cleaning up the streets and trying to make a difference. And I think in my experience, when you work in law, you just are exposed to so much frustration and, and a, a broken justice system. And you feel like you can't make a difference because you're so small. And all I wanted to do was figure out a way to make a difference in, in a positive way. And I kept finding that I, I couldn't do that, that I was just like, no, sit at that desk, write that paper, just keep your head down and keep going. And I was really struggling with that. So then I was like, well, you know, maybe it's just the type of law that I need to try something different. And that led to intellectual property law. And then when I was there, it was a really interesting change. I loved living in New York City. The building was 
uh, fancy and marble and gold and all that stuff. But I found that a lot of the, my coworkers were just not happy. Mm. They're just not happy people. Some of them were not good people. And I didn't want to be in that environment. I, I didn't want to be in a place where, yes, sure, you're, you have a lot of money and a nice car, a nice house, but you're just, you're not happy. So that's when I started looking elsewhere and, and reconnecting with people and being like, you know, what do you do? And where are you going? And that's where I found improv because hmm. I reconnected with a, with an old friend of mine who was like, oh, I'm going to the show at, at UCB. It's an improv show. Do you want to go? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. One, like get me out of my life. And two, like what's improv? And that's where I was like, oh, this is really cool. This is so much fun. How do I do this? Mm -hmm. And then dipping into improv led to, oh, we also offer sketch writing classes over Mm -hmm. here. And over here we offer writing for sitcoms, writing for SNL, writing for late night. And I just signed up for everything. Because I think it was like right before improv became like really cool. Mm -hmm. And all like the classes were like really expensive and really hard to get into. So the people that I was taking classes with they weren't people who were like oh, i'm doing this for my resume i want to be an actor like no it was like accountants and zookeepers and just like a really interesting walk of life people who are still teenagers to people who are like retired like, mm. it was so interesting to play around with really unique personalities and that's when i took a sitcom writing class and i was like okay this, this is it mm-hmm. how do i do this as a job and they're like gotta go to la I'm like, I don't know anyone there. So that's where I went back to school and it uh, brought me to LA and got a master's from UCLA and networked my little butt off yeah. and did the assistant route, you know, starting at the bottom as a writer's PA and getting people coffees and lunches, that sort of thing. And finally being promoted to writer many, many, many years later. Yes. Cause when we met, we were in the assistant grind together. And then, I mean, it's, it's really exciting for me to see people go from, you know, struggling we all can't pay our bills and and i think you and i that's why we also bonded because we both kind of did career shifts you know after the fact because some people go to especially in our business it's like you go to film school and then you like immediately start in a mail room at an agency and then you you know grow it takes a lot of courage in your tw- like mid to late 20s early 30s early 40s whenever you decide to do this career shift to be like you know what i'm gonna go back to the beginning and just start again so yeah here we and it's are. hard yeah it's hard. you know starting over and being sort of the oldest of the assistants yeah it, it is definitely tough yeah to start at the bottom but you have to have almost worth it you have to have no have to have ego about it too mm-hmm. you know because uh, yeah you might think you're not learning anything from getting coffees and really you aren't but at the same time you're getting people to know you and it's what you're learning from coffees is how to like listen how to like take in information how to like show up with a good attitude that kind of thing i think so exactly well we're excited to have you on the pod and we'll definitely jump into some more things as we get to the end but for now why did you choose this movie why was this on your list tell us the the reasoning behind ever after i had the same experience with you or it was probably like uh when it came out when we were in middle school or where we were you know young teenagers that i remember going to the movie theater and actually seeing this in the theater and being at a time where you know, we're still young, but we can, we still have crushes and seeing this reimagining of like a fairy tale story. It's like, it really resonated with me in a way that it wasn't, okay, this is helpless servant girl. And it's this prince saving her. It was like this mm-hmm. really nice empowerment story mm-hmm. that I connected with. And I was like a shy kid. So I kind of was like, oh, I wish I could be strong like Danielle. I wish I could have that sort of life. It was, it was very like aspirational to me and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and there's, it's just fun. It's just like a fun story. It's a cute movie. David, had you ever seen this film before? Uh, probably like five minutes of it. I remember <laughs> okay, which five minutes? Do you remember? Not at all. I just remember <laughs> uh, Drew being in it, and then um, the main actor, uh, Doug Ray Scott. Yeah, and I was like, oh, what's this? And I didn't even realize it was a Cinderella story. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's just like our friend who didn't realize that C was about blind people. Um, well, I mean, kidding. he that person watched episodes. I saw five minutes, so <laughs> That's a little bit of true. a difference. <laughs> That's very true. Well, let's dive into chatting about the film, guys. So, yeah, similar to Cole, I have a very like nostalgic, like I brought up. Um, I think 
if you're a girl who grew up between like, you know, 1980 and maybe 2000, uh, Disney was very much like rammed down your throats with a lot of these like fairy tales. And I will say that Cinderella for a long time was my favorite princess because I think I liked the idea that like someone could come save you. I think there's a part of a lot of women that are like, oh, that's what happens. A guy comes along and he just plucks you out of obscurity and, you know, then you get to you know, he, he finds you through a glass slipper. Um, do you think for you guys, like was Cinderella a favorite Disney character? Did you have any opinions on her growing up? Like David, I mean, you're a boy. What, what did you think about the Disney princesses? I mean, it was whatever. Um, (laughs) I thought it was cool that, (laughs) um, you know, she had the fairy godmother and like the animated one and she was shit on by her family and she grew up and she shined. And I, I kind of forgot some of the details of it. And I would have been upset if the prince came back and was like, oh, we actually looked at your lineage. Like you are a, you are royal. So you mm. can marry me. You know, I'm glad that it was like it didn't really matter where she cut her background that he just fell in love with her and wanted to be with her. So, yeah. I, I Cole, liked, what about for you? Yeah. Was, was Cinderella like a top princess for you growing up? She was not. I think I connected more with her mice friends, mouse friends, okay, than than with her story. I always gravitated more toward the, I think the the stronger princesses. Like I want Mulan kicking butt. Yep. I want like um, just characters that are a little more active and a little more like this is my life and less of a, a victim. Yeah. Even though it was you know her circumstance, but. Yeah, it was, it was a fine movie, but it wasn't one that I'm going to watch over and over. Yeah. So it's interesting then to talk about this film, which is kind of a reimagining of the Cinderella story, where we do have like a more feminist character. I liked throughout the film that she was constantly like sort of saving herself. So, you know, there was a scene where when she first meets the prince, where he's stealing her horse and she like fucking pegs him with a an apple right in the chest. Um, and then it's not until she notices him that she's like, Oh shit, sorry. And then she thinks she's going to get murdered for, um, throwing an apple. I, there was, that was one thing I did not like about the film. He's like for your silence. And he just pours all these coins on the ground. I'm like, he couldn't have just uh, left the purse. I was laughing at that part. <laughs> Why are you? I was like, Keep quiet, bitch. <laughs> don't, don't, don't I feel like it was just a, a visual gag, so we knew what was in the right. pouch versus like to be gross about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was just kind, kind of kind of shit. Like, what? It, you could have just just handed them to her. Yeah, you know? it said, know. "Here's some money for your silence, <laughs> peasant." But yeah, so there's that, and then um, she's very independent. Danielle, our main character, played by Drew Barrymore, she. You know, she swims in the lake. She goes hunting for truffles by herself. She she was wrestling with her friend when she was a little girl, and like yeah. full of Gustave. mud. Yeah, I slaughtered him when she <laughs> pelts him with shit when her stepmother shows up. Um, she yeah, she's a badass. I think in a very like quiet way. You know, she's not like you know over the top. But also, I will say. An interesting thing is I think because she was more of like a servant character, she was able to move a bit more freely in society because I think, you know, her stepsisters who are these like refined women, they don't have as much freedom because they have to act a certain type of way. I don't know if you guys noticed that. Yeah, it's valid. She just was supposed to keep the house and get groceries, things like that, help cook, sweep. And she was just kind of unnoticed. And mm-hmm. I, I felt for her the whole time because she lost her dad, gets thrown in like 10 minutes after she meets her new stepmom and stepsisters. Mm-hmm. And that's the rest of her life. So when she did get upset, I was like excited and cheering for her. Um, when she went after her sister, was it Marguerite? Mm. for grabbing yeah. the dress. Yeah, all that stuff. Um, and she was like, I'm like, you could have kicked the, all three of these women's asses at any time but you were Mm -hmm. just that good of a person you were hoping they were going to come around at some point i just love the um you know that drew barrymore's character was dealing with that the whole movie and it showed like she's such a good actor yeah yeah the casting was just so spot on yeah and normally i normally i'm like the princes and the kings in movies for me i was thinking about this while watching it a lot of them aren't that great of like actors or characters 
Prince Henry, I thought he crushed it. Timothy West yeah, as the actor. It's just being like so funny. Yeah, great. He's funny and he was charming. But like when it was come to being serious and like wanting to be seen, wanting more out of a life, like you actually felt that. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm a handsome guy. Blah, oh, blah, 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 blah. That's you Prince know? Henry. I'm talking about his dad, who I also thought did a great oh, job. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm talking about Prince Henry. I thought he was fantastic with just, yeah. um, you know, he spoiled rich kid but like he wanted to be better and wanted to do better agreed agreed on that i thought all of the characters were great i think angelica houston should just be in every single movie to be honest (laughs) she's so good but even the stepsisters like uh marguerite played by megan dodds she had such a flexible face like even with just like a little look she would communicate so much and there's such a great scene so essentially Danielle's character, Drew Barrymore, she gives the prince a false name, her mother's name. She says, Comtesse Nicole de Longpre or something like that. You know, it sounds very fancy. And she says she's staying with cousins in the area. And Angelica Houston's character is trying to basically scheme to get her daughters to marry the prince. I mean, it's a tale as old as time, right? The evil stepmother. Uh, So then they lie and say that when they figure out who it is, that the cousin's staying with them, that Danielle's staying there. And Marguerite has this great scene where she finally twigs and she just stands up and has this fucking tantrum like ah, ah! and then the queen's like my dear child are you are you quite all right and she's like there was a bee and it's just so comic i mean great acting mm-hmm. great acting. um but yeah i think this cinderella is a much more feminist character there's the scene with the gypsies there's the scene where she oh, you know where she carries him oh i love that <laughs> great scene it's so great they get attacked by gypsies her and the prince after they've been out on a little adventure and he says you can carry you can take anything you can carry and she goes over to him and like puts him on her shoulders and i was thinking to myself i don't think i could do that i don't think i could carry a fully grown man on my I, shoulders i think you could, could you i think you could pick me up on your shoulders if you wanted to to, well, she, I'll have to give it a try. she took like a few steps the way she carried him like it's almost like a fireman <laughs> carry i think you could do it cole do you think you could carry like chris or somebody <laughs> probably not no i mean maybe if the, the moment called for it yeah. maybe yeah emergency she's got good <laughs> quick-witted right she's like carry anything mm-hmm. um to to that gypsy part when they get stuck. I think that might be like, or they're hanging out with the gypsies, right? After mm-hmm. that, that night. And she sits down with them. And she's like, well, look at the gypsies. Like people think they're all this one way, but like, look how good they were to us. Mm-hmm. You know, like you should think like that. I just, her, her character was just dropping yeah. gems the whole movie. She's challenging him to be mm-hmm. better, I think, which is what he needs. Because like a lot of rich, spoiled kids, <laughs> Elon, <laughs> Uh, they are told that, you know, the sun shines out of their ass and they don't have, um, have any concept. So I, I did like the King and Queen too. So Timothy West plays King Francis and then Judy Parfit plays Queen Marie. And they had a really funny banter. Like when the dad's, the father of the, the King is trying to get his son to actually marry someone. That's kind of the ticking clock of the whole film. It's like, you need to get married and settle down. He goes on this all night romp and then he like opens up his parents' curtains around the bed and he's like off with his head like the king is just like really funny guy um but what about yeah. what do you guys think about arranged marriages would you would you do it for the king and country david would you marry someone for an alliance oh that is tough i would want to like do my rounds and see which alliance I wanted. Who's <laughs> the hottest alliance? <laughs> like I don't even care. It's like, oh, this country only has 18 people. But, you know, it was a better alliance for me. I'm like, yeah, let's just align with them. You know, we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> You're like, who has the best chocolate? Yeah. Well, but but well, if I'm you're a- telling me I know somebody that I deeply care about and I'm in love with, then no, I would not marry for an alliance. What about you, Cole? Do you think you would? As women, be, we had less options. So, you know. I'd be open to a meeting. Always take the meeting. Always take the meeting. And uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I like that. I'm going to say I'm fully on board for an arranged marriage. I mean, I do have a significant other. But, like, if I didn't, sometimes I'm like... I don't know if I could go back out there into Tinder and shit like that. You know what I mean? Like, I'd be Shop like, set me up. Do it. Go. What if it was go terrible? Ahead. What's that? What if it was terrible? 
I mean, then I'm like twice as rich and fucking, you know, this is, this is another thing. Like, so spoiler alert, um, but this movie did come out many years ago, but King Henry, the oh, sorry, Prince Henry, he eventually like gets upset with Danielle. And then he's like, fuck, I'll just marry the Spanish chick. And then she comes to the marriage and she's all like sobbing. And I'm like, do these people think that their genitals like lock up when, you know, I mean, yeah, it sucks to be married to someone that you don't know, but like, I'm sure cheating was occurring many times in the court. Like, yeah. I mean, if it was like a, an arrangement, right. But then you still are uh, supposed to have an heir too with that person. So mm-hmm. would you want to have a kid with that person for your bloodlines and your Royal bloodlines? Or would you, the person you're banging on the side who you're like desperately in love with, you know, and then you have a bastard kid, as they mm. would call it back in the day. Mm. Yeah, she was sobbing because the person that she loved was, you know, right in the there. room, couldn't be with him. And yeah. would that king let him be in the room while they're getting after it? You never, you know. I'm just saying it was like the parents like really didn't talk to the kids about the situation. You know, like nobody was happy no. in, this, in this moment. Let's talk about the lack of diversity in this film. That's Cole, the whole sentence. <laughs> There's no no people of color in this in yeah. this world. I mean, it kind of reflects the royal family today. Like I'm watching The Crown right now, season five, and it, there's a lot of like similarities. You know, mm. marriages that should or should not have happened, and mm. all the cheating, and all that kind of stuff. Um, have they got so to? Yeah. They haven't got to yeah. Meghan Markle yet on the Crown series. I don't think they're going to get to. <laughs> I don't think they're going to get there. She plays herself. Um, She's like, I'll do it. I I don't necessarily mind because of this time period. Right. Like there might not have been anybody in that area at this time. Well, let's talk very quickly as an aside about the slavery slash indentured servitude that we witnessed in the film. It's very glossed over. But uh, Rod Miller, played by Angelica Houston, she sells off a servant to pay off her own debts. And they're basically like taking him to the Americas. And there's a whole host of people in cages being transported. Um, Yeah. I mean, that is essentially like slavery. Like they sold people. So it's just I feel like they didn't want to go there maybe in this film yeah. like that's why they had white people and broke up the family well that's what i'm saying i'd have to go back and look i'm not a history major but were there black people in france the time this took place i would imagine in the 16th century i feel like I potentially know. yeah <laughs> but yeah um they do they definitely gloss over it and it was frustrating i completely forgot what happened in that part of the movie but uh danielle uh drew barrymore's character actually manages to save the guy that's like kind of like a family member to her and bring him home and the prince kind of helps her that's kind of where they connect for the first time as you know quote unquote equals and then she says to him well you barely glanced at the other people that were being taken away and then it's so true. I had forgotten that happened, and I was like, "Wow, we're just gonna let these other people." I thought about that uh, when she when he got out, and I was like, "Yeah, what about the rest of the cart? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about all it, those people?" And then there's just kind of a throwaway line, like, "Oh, didn't you hear? If anyone's being sent to the Americas, they have to be compensated." I'm like, "Are they still being sent against their will? Wait, <laughs> what? what and the fuck's and uh, Angelica, she was just a bad businesswoman or business, mm-hmm. right? So she was selling things." for money to prop themselves up to mm-hmm. get a chance at the king for her daughter to get the chance or Marguerite to get a chance at the king. And then she actually sold Drew Barrymore mm-hmm. to that creep. To yeah. That dude. Definite creep vibes. Super creep. Yeah. My question to you guys though, to play a little bit devil's advocate, do you think Angelica Houston's character was just using the things that she had available at her disposable disposal. Like she's a, she's a widowed woman. She's older. She's got three daughters, essentially two biological and one stepdaughter. I mean, in those days, like a woman couldn't really work. Do we feel at all bad for her that she was maybe like trying to make the best of a, a shitty situation? The one time you do feel bad for her, I think is right after her husband dies. 
and you see the pain and the anguish that she's just like, you can't leave me here. Mm-hmm. You can't leave. You, you, we just started a life together and now this is, I, I'm here without you. So the, the pain and the grieving in that moment with her and then also with Danielle felt real. Mm-hmm. And then she's like automatically launched into like, now I'm evil. Uh, but in that moment, I felt like I felt that for her. What? I thought would have been a great like one line. I mean, I thought it was really ice cold what she said, but Drew Barrymore asked, like, did you ever love me? And she said, how can you love a pebble in your shoe? There was a moment when the dad had the heart attack, look at Angelica, and then he looks at his daughter and you can see what love is to him. It wasn't in that gaze to Angelica. It was to her. And then they show Angelica, like, look at him and then look at her. Like, she knows. She felt it. So if they would, uh, and I had a little, you know, empathy for Angelica at that moment, but then if they would have maybe mentioned it, like she says that she's like, well, I didn't know him. Maybe she, after that was like, he loved you, not me. And like, so how could I love a rock in my shoe? Just to be like, that did hurt me when he passed away, how much he said he cared for you. And I got, I basically got nothing from him. I don't know. Maybe I'm just like really into like trying to figure out, you know, when you like, well, Cole knows as a writer, it's like, in writing, there's no ever real true bad people. I mean, unless they're like a psychopath or something or so even in a, in a story, like a villain thinks that they're doing the villains on their own journey, right? The villain thinks that they're they're doing the best thing in their mind. So Mm -hmm. I was trying to think of Angelica Houston's character from her perspective, which was, fuck, I've been saddled with this land, this property, these servants, this daughter. I have two daughters of my own. At least if she had had a son, like he could have gone out and like, you know, made money for the family. So a part of me was like, what was shitty was that she was blaming the missing items on, on, the, on the servants, servants and yeah. like selling them. Did they hint but, at all that Angelica tried to remarry after that or even arrange other marriages for Marguerite and you know the other the other girls because mm-hmm. wouldn't Jacqueline. that be yeah wouldn't that be a way to like raise your status yeah i think that's why she's so desperately throwing her daughters at the king but also her character flaw was that or at the prince sorry her character flaw was that she felt that she was owed something more you know um and she definitely loved the like hierarchies and the stations and shit like that so yeah. What else jumped out to you guys as stuff that uh, that maybe raised some questions about this film? I don't know about questions, but I do think it's interesting that like the punishment at the end was like you're being shipped to the Americas. And even today, I feel like being shipped to the Americas from another country might be a bit of a punishment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, sending someone to a new fucking country on a boat that you have like a 50% survival rate. Listen, I'm Australian. My ancestors, I'm sure there's convict blood mixed in that. So like, you know, grateful for, uh, for the opportunity, but also not (laughs) ideal, like not, not great to be sent away from everything you ever knew. And in the Americas in the 1600s, what was that situation? I feel like it wasn't great out here. Not the time of like, the Puritans and like the Donna party and shit like that. Uh, I think they're still trying to figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) These two history majors over here. Yeah, Um, yeah. Well, I do have a question for you. Do you feel like the history that they tried to put into this, like with the Da Vinci's and stuff like that, did that feel distracting or did it feel like it rooted the story in reality for you guys? I felt like it rooted it it more. Yeah. No, you got a call. It was a nice comedic relief, but I don't think it's something that rooted it in reality. I think there was more like a fantasy element to it. Cause I'm like, I don't think this is how they talk, especially cause you mentioned the accents, like, <laughs> Speaking English. Country, the accents. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did like the character. It was very fun. Yeah. But I don't think that's. Yeah. Based I on mean, that. it drew me in a little bit more. Um, I would actually like to, and I didn't have as much time on this one, but the brothers Grimm thing interests mm-hmm. me. Because that's mm-hmm. how this whole story started. Yeah. Um, Where so, old ladies talking to the Brothers Grimm mm-hmm. saying, I was very disturbed about your story of the little cinder girl. And then it turns out it was her great, great grandmother. Yeah. So I, I really like that part of it. But yeah, the Da Vinci thing was like, oh, I know him. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember like, that oh. guy. It's yeah. a callback. Yeah. yeah. The Brothers Grimm uh, fairy tales. Actually, I did a whole course at uni about like the origin of fairy tales and stuff like that. And the fast, most fascinating one for me, I probably brought it up before, but it was a Robin, Red Riding Hood, which actually started off as a cautionary tale for women to stay on the path, essentially. Um, otherwise, you could be led to like pro- promiscuity and there's all these like symbolisms and stuff. And obviously, over time in the retellings of stories, like things get watered down. But actually, if you ever go and find like the Brothers Grimm stories, a lot of these Disney stories are extremely fucked up. Oh, they're super dark. I took German in middle school and one of our um, like field trips was to see a Brothers Grimm play. And I'll never forget, there was an element when we were watching the Cinderella one mm-hmm. where they get their feet cut off mm. to fit into the shoes because the stepsisters can't uh, fit their feet. And so they chop their toes off to get the shoe in, and they're walking around in the shoe and these birds come in. I'll never forget. I still remember this. The birds fly in, they go, cuckoo, cuckoo, there's blood in the shoe. And it's like, it's, it's to be like, hey, there's something wrong. Check the shoe. They just cut their toes off. And they're like, oh, no, you're not the right Cinderella. Oh, it's my God. super gross. Uh, super dark. Some of the yeah, stuff they didn't I was have reading. anything to do with the shoes trying on in this no, uh, version. Not that, but um, also that the ending was supposed to have the stepsister's eyes plucked out by doves, mm-hmm. leaving, leaving them as a punishment. So, yeah, a little bit Well, I did darker. read, though, that one sort of nod to that was like in the end scene. So to give the listeners context, so Danielle is like... I will save them. They're going to ship them off to the Americas, the ultimate punishment, as we've agreed. And she steps forward and she's like, you know, after this day, I will never think of you, but I can guarantee you'll think of me every every day since. And I, my read on it was that Marguerite and Rod Miller, the stepmother, go work for the castle essentially in the laundry room or something. And what I was reading was that in a nod to the eyes being plucked out thing – that um, in those laundry rooms back in the day, the chemicals were so fucking intense that pe- a lot of people would go blind. So, little nod to the OG story. Mm-hmm. Kind of dark. Kind of dark. Also, would, were they working in the castle? Because I wouldn't want someone that like wants to fucking kill me, you know, touching anything that I have to sleep on. Well, I so- assume they were in America when that was happening. Yeah, that's oh. what I thought you were saying, Cool. So, but it was kind of because Drew Barrymore was saying, like, I'm going to speak up for you, but mm-hmm. like, I'm never going to think about you again. So, like, we weren't we weren't going to kill you. But yeah, that is interesting. Did well, that she lady stripped away have the thing that, cared, that they cared about most, which was the status, right? Yeah. Did, so. that, did that lady that was running the dye shop have an accent? I wonder if she... British. They okay. all sounded... It yeah, was like a she's, real mix between British and American. If they're supposed to be in the U.S., you think maybe... Mm. That lady wouldn't have an accent, but I don't know. Mm. Nobody knows. It's open to interpretation. <laughs> yeah. So a couple fun things about the film. I found out that that castle that they shot it at um, is actually an hour and a half away from my dad's place in France. It's in the Dordogne region. Um, I'll have to look up the castle and I'll put it, we can put it in the show notes, but very interesting that they did actually shoot it in France. I wonder why they chose to make everyone have Drew Barrymore has kind of like a mixed accent, but ev- pretty much everyone else is like super British, right? It's probably the easiest thing for them to do. And they're like, how do we make it sound not American? Well, default. Yeah. But why not go with French accents? Like- yeah. <laughs> I guess just harder for the actors. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's more offensive. I don't know. Huh? Um, Drew Barrymore said that this was her favorite film. I don't know how recent that is, but I think that's really sweet because mm-hmm. I think she's really sweet in this. And I love to see that the actress that gave us, you know, E.T. Um, also gave us also gave us this movie. It's nice. Yeah. She, um, I, I did read. So she's Drew Barrymore is third generation actor in Hollywood. And so is Angelica, Angelica Houston. So they had that in common, which is cute. And, uh, yeah, I wonder if they would ever do another movie together. I would pay to see that. I would watch that as well. I think Drew Barrymore is fantastic. Yes. Love to see it. And uh, the talk show is super fun, too. It's super fun. I love that she's still out here winning. She seems like just the sweetest person in the world, honestly. Um, I, I've definitely met someone that worked on her show, and she said, yeah, she's amazing. So, 
Yeah. Uh, so what about the ball, you guys? I think that this movie did it better than than other films of Cinderella, where it's like he only meets her at the ball, I think, in the OG Cinderella, right? He only meets her at the ball and they fall in love and then he tries to find her. So at least in this version, they already knew each other. Do you think you could fall in love with someone uh, after one dance at one disco for a night? I mean, it depends. Depends, like, <laughs> what kind of songs were we dancing to? Right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know about love, but definitely yeah. strong, strong interest uh, to want to find them again. Like, back that yeah. thing up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, like, we've talked about this in the past, Paris. Do you, can you, like, love at first sight or really get that feeling, that strong connection? Um, where you can see it going somewhere and it's just like, whoa, like we click immediately. So, I mean, yeah, cause I'm kind of a, a romantic at heart. So I feel like if I met somebody at some glamorous thing and we really kicked it off that, yeah, maybe. I think you also have to remember that people died a lot earlier. So like one night was like the equivalent of like three months, like in these people's <laughs> lives. So it's really like falling in love. But I, I know I'm really glad that they made this film have some more depth, you know, like made it so that they actually got to know each other. And then she shows up at the dance. But I will always forever be horrified when her stepmother in this film, you know, rips her wing off and humiliates her in front of everybody. And then he just like walks away from her. That's bullshit. He does not stand up for his woman. And that is sad. Uh, let's talk about the stepsisters real quick, and then we'll jump into a little bit more industry chat. So did you guys feel that Jacqueline, the other stepsister played by Melanie Linsky, did enough to redeem herself? Because she was not punished the same way that the other two were. Cole, what do you think? Did she, Was she nice enough to warrant not being punished in the same way? I think so. Because her other sister in comparison was just so, so evil. Yeah. That, yeah, I think she was fine. What about you, David? Yeah, I, I'm glad she did because, and I'd like to get both of your perspective on this. I did not like the way she was talked to by mm -hmm. her mother, especially, like with all the food comments. Mm -hmm. and yeah, the massive body shaming. Yeah, mm -hmm. like consistently. I, I thought that was kind of bogus. And the more and more we do these... Um, I'm like always torn because I'm like, yeah, could you do it a different way? But at the same time, you have to have this person be a bad person, a villain, right? Mm -hmm. And they, uh, villains do villainous shit. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, but at that time, I think late nineties, I feel like it was just, yeah, we can call her the big girl and we can just make big girl jokes the whole movie mm -hmm. instead of, you know, just being mean in any other way, maybe like a comment like that, but not the whole time. Um, so as writers, like, what do you think about that? I mean, she's not a big girl, <laughs> you know what I mean? So but it's just like, uh, and uh, I think she's talking to be, about her just, eating. What? They're consistently talking about her eating though. Yeah, eating and but they also just make her like she's the horse and she's the dependable one and it's like I think there is that competition between sisters that that's kind of what they were playing on and like one's the beautiful one and the mum so it's like varying degrees right but for me the reason I was asking is because I thought she was still kind of a shitty person and like I you know she gets redeemed for sure. But there's a couple comments where she's like, I guess I'll just go make the breakfast like Danielle. Like she's aware of this divide that's being driven between all of them. And she still kind of like participates in it. And then even when uh, Danielle's character gets whipped, which thankfully we don't see, but we see the aftermath as a child. I was like, that's so horrific. And now I'm like, I've literally seeing like people's dicks explode and stuff. Um, she, uh, you know, she's like, you know, you did bring this upon yourself. So she wasn't like a perfectly good character, right? Yeah. She was also raised by a monster. So I'm True. sure when you're, <laughs> when you're raised in, and I think present day, we, we see this as well. When you're raised by people who aren't good, that stuff sticks with you. And it takes a, a very strong person and a lot of education to to retrain yourself to be a good person and a rationally thinking person. So yeah, at first I was going to say she gets no points for doing that because she just should have been good. But Cole, you make a very good point. And that's hard. Agreed. That is very hard to do um, when you are taught a certain way to, to get a break out of that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I think as well, like they do kind of capture the class system well in that dynamic, you know, it's us and them. I think that's something that kind of goes through this whole film is, you know, the divide between like the poor and the wealthy. And I I mean, it still happens to this day. Like there's still, even though America supposedly doesn't have classes in my mind, it does. And there's so much of society is separating people into like tax brackets and shit like that. And like, I'm better than this and I'm owed this. And yeah, I think, I think that uh, Melanie Linsky's character, Jacqueline was kind of a product of the time. And like you said, called education. I think that's a great point that you make. Cole, how do you feel about monarchies right now? Do you think it should exist in the, the Royal family since you're watching it on Netflix? Uh, for entertainment purposes only. I don't think that <laughs> they should be given um, money and status and stuff. I don't think that, or I'm just not maybe educated enough to exactly what they do besides uh, give us funny things to read in magazines and, and pictures to look at. So they should pay, t- they should pay taxes like everybody else. Oh, of course. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the tax All the billionaires so and the billionaires. There should be no billionaires, my humble opinion. Um, when you get to 999 million, you just get a plaque that says, congrats, you're the best, you win. <laughs> um, or you can go live on Mars, but it's a one-way ticket. So see ya. Uh, <laughs> well, it's getting to that point. We're getting a little long in the tooth. Um, before we do our shout outs, Cole, I have a question for you about writing. So mm-hmm. obviously people from all walks of life listen to this podcast. What would you say is your number one tip for somebody that is potentially thinking about a career change like you and who wants to either go from, you know, kind of more of a corporate job to a more creative job or specifically if they want to, you know, take a path similar to you and and get into writing? Do you have any wise words of wisdom? Yeah, I would say at first, do your research, a lot of research. If you are switching careers, especially if you're switching into entertainment, you should be watching a lot of movies. You should be watching a lot of TV shows. You should be able to really immerse yourself into this world. Cause often even in an interview, people are going to say, what are you watching? Mm-hmm. So first make sure that you love the world that you're stepping into, that you're not stepping in for, you know, fame and fortune really lead with passion and I don't know what you're talking about. The three of us have immediately changed, <laughs> achieved fame and fortune. <laughs> All we had to do was show up, right? Yeah. Right, David? Correct. Yeah, just know it's going to take a lot, lot longer, most likely, mm-hmm. than you think it's going to take the transition. And be humble, kind of like we talked to you before. Like, be okay with starting at the bottom again. Because in the journey, the journey will just be that much more satisfying when you you rise like a phoenix for sure for writers specifically what is one thing that you can share you know obviously you you grounded out you went through the assistant route um what's something that like you know you wish you knew before like writing a couple episodes or whatever when you're thinking about writing your first sample or any sample the samples that tend to emotionally connect with people tend to be based in something that happened to you. So reflect on your life, on your therapy sessions, on whatever the the hard stuff that you've dealt with. And don't be afraid to tell your story or a version of your story. Because once I stopped sort of just making stuff up that I thought would be interesting and once I started telling the stuff that I went through, people started to respond differently and more positively. So hmm. don't be afraid to write about you. Do they call that method writing? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but that's a great term. Yeah, for it. yeah. Immediately cracks open journal and starts digging into trauma for <laughs> comedy purposes. Because <laughs> I tend to write. Um, I, I came up with this thing about myself. I was like, I write. Uh, what was it? Barely competent women uh, in ever escalating situations or AKA millennial on we. And I think that's because I feel like a woman in escalating circumstances, that's barely all to get together, but I haven't yet, uh, you know, I read a lot of comedies to, that take place in fantastical places that I've personally never been. So maybe it's time to write something comedic about, a something that actually happened to me. I, I think we'll if see. you keep writing about millennials on weed, 
that it's going to be good. So on keep, keep going. Not on weed, fool. <laughs> Take an English class. I My God. know what you're saying, but I can't let a joke pass. Sure. Um, well, Cole, again, we're so grateful to have you on the podcast. Um, but before we get to like where people can find you and all that stuff, we have to do a shout out to someone in the cast or crew. David, let's have you kick it off. Who you sure? You got? I feel like one of you might have it. So I can't well, we'll go, see, see. but I went go. with Claire Spargy, um, costume and wardrobe because mm. that was the main thing that stuck out to me. I thought all the costumes are really cool. Um, Drew Barrymore in those wings. Swing. Yeah, <laughs> she is gorgeous. Um, and it's just that is probably pretty hard to do if they didn't have all those dresses laying around somewhere in a warehouse. So even if they did, they have to size them to all those extras and all those other actors. So um, shout out to Claire for that. She's worked, um, still working, 44 credits. She did the new Mission Impossible. Um, Kingsman, she was worked on Great Cruella movie. as a costume supervisor, Aladdin. Um, so she's been doing it for quite some time. So, you know, with your contribution, you helped make this a, a good film. So Claire, we see you and we appreciate you. We see you and we appreciate you. All right. Who do you have, Cole? Who are you going to give a little shout out to? Well, we wouldn't have a story without a script. So I got a shout out to Susanna Grant. Yes. She's written some really fantastic characters and women. And I respect her very storied career. And she's still writing stuff today. And she also did like Aaron Brockovich. Ooh. If you look at, she did Pocahontas. Oh my God. And uh, most recently, Unbelievable and some other uh, very powerful stories. So, yeah. We love to see it, Suzanne. We see you and we appreciate mm-hmm. you. Well, I went with stunts. I went Abby Collins in stunts because a couple times Drew Barrymore does some things. Jumps out of a tree. And if you know anything about movies, it's uh, all of that stuff is incredibly uh, organized and pre-vis, they call it, like where you go and do a pre-visual. So Abby has um, a lot of credits, 146 as a stunt person. Ooh. Yeah, she's done a fuckload. So <laughs> lots of different things. Um, the Tracy Ullman show is just one that jumps out at me because I thought that show was fucking great. But like lots of things, you, me and them, um, a lot of like TV, The Wolfman, Doctor Who, yeah, she's done a lot. Love she, Doctor Who. Shameless, yep. 20, 28 weeks later, she was actually a stunt player for that. Um, but also Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. So, like, she's been around. So, I always like to shout out the stunts people because I think they should absolutely have their own Academy Award for their contribution to film TVs. But for now, they'll just have to have an Age Like Milk shout out. So, Abby Collins, we see you and we appreciate you. See you and we appreciate you. All right. Before we let you go, Cole, where can people... Well, when can people watch your show? First of all, I know it hasn't come out yet. I wish I could tell you, but stay tuned. It will be on FX, and then I assume it'll be on Hulu. I think the original Justified is streaming on Hulu right now. Mm-hmm. So just rewatch the old show to get ready get to the characters nice. again. So when it pops out, yeah, you can let us know, and we'll plug it at that time too. Mm-hmm. Keep us posted. And if people want to find you on social media, I know uh, potentially Twitter is going away, but is there anywhere that they can follow you or connect with you? Sure. Um, if Twitter is still tweeting um, at Cole Quirk, C O L E Q U I R K. Um, same thing with Instagram at Cole Quirk. Uh, I only post pictures of travel and teacups. Love that. I drink a lot of tea. We love, love tea. Cups. So if yeah. you like international travel and drinking tea, do you, ha- do you have like your next international movie. trip booked? Are you going somewhere fun? I am. I'm going to. Helsinki, Finland. Yes. And Lugano, Switzerland. Hell yes. It should be great. We can't hate to hear all the stories. Yeah. I want to see some snow. Hell. It's snow in a while, so let's yes. go. Let's get cold. Very good. Uh, and what are you working on next? Anything that you can share? A lot of stuff still in development. Okay. So hopefully something 
We'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. 2023. Oh yeah. I love it. Love to see it. Love the positivity. All right, friends. Well then now it's time where we must decide whether this film has aged like milk or stayed fresh. David, kick us off again. What do you reckon? Let's kick it. Um, I'm going to say this movie did not age like milk. I thought this was, I thought this was sweet, but it also had some real life shit to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I love the conversations between the two of them. Um, Drew Barrymore and, and the prince because they were getting into some real world things and developed like a, a good foundation between them. It wasn't, I didn't feel like it was just physical or, you know, for whatever, whatever reason, it, it felt like deeply rooted and they were building something with each other. So, uh, I love to see that. It just felt good and natural watching it. And I thought that end scene was really cool with, uh, with her in the wings. Um, you know, she, she looked like a beautiful fairy princess almost. And yeah, I, I, I enjoyed this movie. It was it's feel good. Love that. Cole, what do you think? What's your two cents? I agree. I think the movie stayed fresh. I think it still has a lot of parallels to women trying to live their life and be autonomous and powerful and strong and educated. And it was just a really sweet journey because even though there was like, you know, that romantic drama between them, it was still a character that you rooted for and, and loved from the beginning to end. I agree. It's three for three. I think one of the reasons this movie stays fresh, though, is because it is period. So, like, you can kind of attribute a lot of things to, you know, oh, it was the 16th century. I do think if we're going to set things in, you know, foreign countries, maybe there's somebody at the beginning that's like, oh, let's all speak English. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just like, <laughs> don't tell me it's France and everyone has a British accent. Like, do better. Make it French or... <laughs> have some reason why they're all speaking English. We're the English. I would, I would have loved that if, if the old Let's lady all... talking to Brothers Grimm is like, "Yeah, back when we first started talking in the English accent." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something. I just think, come on, guys, we can do better. Also, oh I will say I'm loving this, like the great and um, Bridgerton where we're just like not addressing how fucking racist it was back in the day. And we're just having diversity casting. Um, My dad would be like, Oh, that's so woke, which I think is like a bit of a dog whistle for like, I liked it when everyone was white. Um, But we're doing better than our parents' generation, you know, with all the love and the respect in the world to our boom parents. But yeah, that was my, my only thing. I do agree with you, David. There was a lot of serious shit that they dealt with. So Gotta give him props for that. I, I definitely think everyone should go watch this movie. Where did we watch it, guys? I think it was Stars. on Stars in America. Yeah. I still have a copy on DVD. Oh, shit. One of the very few DVDs I still own, but I'm not ready to part with that one. Cool. Cole will rent it out to you for $38.95 plus yeah. shipping. <laughs> She's going to start like a. The old school Netflix. Wait, this is such category. a sidebar conversation, and I know we're so close to the end, but I've recently been thinking that I would like to own more DVDs, especially when we see things like getting wiped off streamers. I don't know if, David, you and I have had this conversation or if it was... We haven't we been the- able to do... Uh- really funny movie that I wanted to do because we couldn't find it. Uh, yeah. PCU with but, Jeremy Piven. But but also like when, what was it? Was it HBO just decided to get rid of a bunch of shows off their um, streaming service? It's like, if you don't own a physical copy of that, like what happens to that project that you worked enslaved over? Like it's just disappears into the ether. What the fuck? One of my first internships out here uh, in grad school, the first time I ever had a, a drive on to a lot, just the Disney lot. I felt very fancy. Of course. Um, it was for a director who, as interns, one of our jobs were, was to catalog his DVD collection. Mm. He bought movies, DVDs, daily mm. in bulk. He had, I, it felt like at least 50 to 100 massive binders, all alphabetized. He has every movie probably ever made. And when a new one came in, we'd have to move all of, all of the distant, uh, yeah. I think so that's going to be me. I think when I'm if rich, we need a Netflix, I know a director who yeah. has them all. I think I'm gonna when I own a house, I'm gonna have like my downstairs, like you know, uh, cinema lounge, and it's gonna be. I want to own the material, right? Like I just am worried that the internet will crash one day and we will have mm-hmm. no more copies of like Blues Clues or whatever. But Fuck, what they could know. do is 
like if you buy, you know, you buy on Amazon, it says, oh, buy or rent. So like to your point, if HBO kicked all those off, does that, does your purchase go away too? I wonder, because if they're pulling it from their servers, but if you had something where it was like buy and install on a hard drive Mm. where you physically had or not physically, but you were able to take that movie ever after, put it on a hard drive, and then anytime you plugged it in, you could watch it on your TV or, you know, computer or anything like that. I just wonder if DVDs are going to become like vinyls where like, you know, kids born in like 2021 are like, oh my God, you've got to watch ever after. I've got like the 2000 DVD version. It's so crispy. Like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> just so they Whatever can the see the DVD menu. Kids will be like, neat bloop. <laughs> and all three of us we like yeah i don't know what you're saying so it's, it's so tight it's cash money oh it's cash that's right i'll hop on tiktok they'll tell me what everything means there you go thank thank god for tiktok um all right well that's our show guys i'm glad we've got a fresh movie we haven't had a fresh one in a minute cole thank you so much for joining us everybody go check her out we will include her links in the show notes but for now david you should just go ahead and check your fridge make sure that milk ain't spoiled gross milk is gross that's our show thanks for listening and we'll see you next time bye